1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
2: They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Coming to you live from various places, uh, emphasis on live, which will be important later in the show. One of the most amazing things about our imperfect country, the United States, is no fooling, it's national parks. It's a huge, huge country, and a, a lot of it is dedicated to wildlife. And I think we've all had that experience when you talk to someone who's not from the U.S. and they're like, hey, we're going to land in New York. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, we thought we'd drive over to Chicago, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Uh, it's, there's so many amazing national parks in the, like, western side of the contiguous United States. hmm I've not done extensive traveling over there, but man, it makes me want to just exist
0: on that side of the country for a while just to see the parks. Well, I'll tell you who has done that uh, to a great degree is a friend of the show, Alex Williams who has posted up in many a national park in that and other parts of the country. He is a a bit of an outdoorsman. I love it. I love it. And a huge fan of maps as well. Check out
2: his show Ephemeral, which in my mind proves what podcast can be and can do. Uh, You also, spoiler, might hear some familiar voices. In those episodes. Now, we have been fortunate to explore some, but by no means all of the U.S. national parks in person. And they are absolutely worth it. The U.S. is vast uh, to a degree. It's still filled with wild country and it's home to so much amazing flora and fauna. Yet, depending upon whom you ask, these national parks may also be home to something else. Ghost. Let's begin the tour. Here are the facts. We won't spend too much time on this, but it's important to know
0: the history of national parks. That's right. The story of the national parks system officially begins back in March of eighteen seventy-one, when Congress created the Yellowstone National Park in the uh, what was then territories of Montana and Wyoming, under the control of the Secretary of the Interior which I've always found to be a bit of a, a perplexing concept. The interior of what? Like everything within the United States? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird one. Um, but what are you going to do? Uh, and this was as a benefit for the public, the idea of you know having green spaces where people can hang out and, and main, maintaining them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so gone gone are the days of, you know, um, the European
2: royal reserves, right? Like back in Europe under various monarchies, the king or the crown would have their own hunting lands and peasants could be executed for uh, venturing onto these grounds. So it's a big step to say, hey, we were keeping this green space for everyone.
1: Well, except for the indigenous peoples that lived on the land prior to that, right? And even some homeowners that, you know, people who had moved west especially and kind of staked their own land. And then somebody came through and said, actually this is
0: part of our thing now, so you've got to go. You guys, I was about to say, I I recently kind of started thinking about the idea of how much we take for granted the idea of land, you know, like owning land. Who does the land belong to? Luckily, I guess, uh, through a lot of convoluted uh, legal practices and documents and things like that, we've more or less sorted that out. Um, People can't just come and plant a flag in your yard, but there was a time where that would come and you would pay the blood price. And litigation
2: continues today with various Native American communities who are regaining control of land that was repeatedly stolen from them. This is simply an historical fact. And I think it's also very American for there to be these beautiful ideas and writing and concept with ugly real world practices behind them. I mean, what happened Uh, as imperfect and at times evil as it was, is that the creation of Yellowstone led to a global movement to create, maintain, and if needed, protect national parks. And that protection clause becomes ever more important as industry starts coming in and saying things like, hey, we'll sponsor this park and all we want in exchange is the mineral rights. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, or or a little chunk of we want to have access to a little chunk of land to do our thing. And and you can uh, keep the rest. We don't want that. We just need this one area because there's lots of copper over here. Mm. (laughs) And we don't mind us.
2: Yeah, we'd also like a right to renegotiate this based on what we find you know every every 2 to 5 years
1: well yeah, we well, still see stuff we talked about it pretty recently with um when huge car manufacturers are trying to expand or something and that practice of just deciding well actually we kind of need where you we need the stuff that you're occupying right now like that whole thing we need that so we're going to use the laws to take it
2: our domain is imminent
1: yeah yeah and ben i don't think this i i really like where you're going here with the positive side of national parks because i think for me personally national parks are on the whole a majorly positive thing i just i think you're right to say that there's like this this side to it right that like everything is a little darker than we we'd like to think
0: about look at what we've got look at all this natural splendor you know that exists under our purview but uh let's not talk about the ugly uh way we got it. Right, right. Uh, people
2: stumble into places like Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon or glaciers and they say, this is amazing. And then millennia old cultures say, yeah, we know we live here. We were there. So, we were there, dude. We we're there the whole time. Uh, one more step in history uh, we owe to President Theodore Roosevelt. Most famous, of course, for inspiring the stuffed teddy bear. Uh, he creates. The, he's like the famous amateur wrestler Abraham Lincoln. He uh, creates the national parks movement, uh, the the big one, because he's inspired by a naturalist and very eccentric inventor named John Muir. Wasn't Roosevelt also
0: like a big game hunter? He liked yes. to kill stuff. Yeah, conservationist okay. meant a different thing back then. I guess it did. Yeah, sort of like Darwin eating every uh, uh, example of a species that he discovered. Yep, just so true story. And shout out to our pal Jack O'Brien who hit us to that
2: one a while back. Uh, so Muir stood tall against the the dominant sort of zeitgeist uh, of America at the time, which said, look, progress is what we're about. We're manifesting destiny. That means the land is here to be used. It's just resources to extract. And he would say, no, we've got to protect this. And luckily, his argument won the day. Uh, He pushed for the 1890 Act that created Yosemite National Park. And then he was also instrumental in the creation of multiple other parks. That's why he's called the father of the national park system.
0: Well, I mean, if there are no kind of base level rules around what's like on the table to develop, you know, to destroy and kind of like piece together uh, other stuff out of, then everything's on the table. So it's very important that this was established when it was or else you wouldn't have any of that stuff. No, no, no. We would pave the world. Uh, And now the national
2: park system covers 400 different areas. We're talking about more than 84 million acres across all 50 U.S. states and then the territories and commonwealths, uh, including Saipan, weirdly enough, huge marine reserve. Uh, The service employs over 20,000 people. And that's a lot, but it's nowhere near enough to have a single person monitoring every single acre of land. Uh, The wildlife is dangerous at times. That means that if you visit national parks, you are responsible for your interactions with the wild animals. It also means that some unscrupulous visitors can get away with breaking the rules, polluting, littering, starting forest fires, and, you know, murdering folks.
0: Well, and the people that maintain and, you know, watch over these parks do it out of passion. You know, they love it. They're not like highly paid. And oftentimes there's a skeleton crew kind of situation. And If there's ever a government shutdown or funding gets scarce, park maintenance is kind of one of the first things to go. Mm-hmm. As yeah. we saw with Joshua Tree when there was like a government shutdown and so many people, you know, vandalized and destroyed a lot of the uh, titular Joshua Trees.
2: Mm-hmm. And perhaps most controversially, there is to date, as we record, no official tally of just how many people go missing on public land in the United States. And there's not, it's not a great way to fix that either. And we've had episodes with experts in this, such as uh, Professor Brian Kautz, uh who talked about the zone of death in Yellowstone, and David Politis, uh from Missing 411. But there's another conversation, one that sends a shiver up the spine of true believers. And every year, to be honest, delivers piles of cash to the park system. You guys, there are so many stories of ghosts in these public parks. Let's gather around the campfire, maybe spin some spooky tales. Ooh.
1: And and it's everyone. It's every single one, by the way, it's not just a couple of the uh, parks are haunted. Every single one that we've looked at has at least one ghost story, whether it's directly tied to, a, you know, um, One of the most sought after places in the park or one of the most sought after inns that is immediately on the park, you know, property or right like adjacent to it.
0: Scooby and the gang really have their hands full. Everybody
2: gets one Spider-Man rules. Here's where it gets crazy. We're not kidding, fellow conspiracy realists. Now, sure, uh, some of the more skeptical amongst us may automatically roll our eyes or tentacles or algorithms, I guess, at the thought. But you still can't deny millions of visitors appear to at least believe they encountered something in, as you said, Matt, every single national park covered by the Park Service. I mean, we can start with more notorious examples. The Grand Canyon. Dude, Honestly, people think the Grand Canyon is haunted. If you've ever been there, it looks haunted. It lives up to the hype. It is indeed grand.
1: There's stuff in them cracks. Then it's probably ghosts. <laughs> or
2: <laughs> ancient
1: civilizations. Yeah. Uh, Ben, what do you, what do you think is accomplished by the tentacle rolling? Is it the same, is it the same kind of thing with an (laughs) eye roll? It just lets, just lets people know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Have you, I mean, have you ever bored an octopus? It's very apparent. They do this. (laughs) No, dude, they
1: find me fascinating. (laughs)
0: When I hear roll tentacles, I'm picturing like it doing sort of like a breakdancing move, you know? Nice, nice. And, uh, and
2: I also wonder, this is unrelated, but this is fascinating. We know the octopus dreams. I wonder if the octopus encounters ghosts or what Ooh. it thinks of the afterlife. That'd be cool. Story idea. Octoghosts?
0: Octoghosts, oh <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the vampire squid? I mean, that thing's <laughs> a demon from hell. There are some new pictures
2: of, I think it's the glass octopus which is so cool. It's been making the rounds on the nature
1: nerd stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> Enough about octopuses. Let's get to El Tovar Hotel.
2: Yes, known for its octopus ghost. We're kidding, but it is known for ghosts. It's uh, it's right known at- for its exclamation marks. Oh, gosh, yeah. And a lot of the reporting, Matt, you and I were talking about this off air, and we made a little joke about it in the notes because a lot of places would um, – Copy and paste, for lack of a better word, some of the the stories and things that come directly from the Grand Canyon's official website, and <laughs> you can tell because a lot of them. in. How, how'd you put it, Matt? I like the way you put it.
1: Well, it's they. It, it's ending a sentence as though like all of this was happening at the or or you may think that was spooky, but what? Wait until you hear about the El Tovar Hotel.
2: <laughs> and it's it's almost as if the narrator is
1: turning around dramatically as soon as they say El Huvar Hotel. <laughs> well, yeah, the writing about this hotel, as well as a lot of the other stories we're going to be talking about today, do seem to be stories that would be easily um, retold by like a guide, let's say, or a bus driver or somebody working at a hotel that's going to tell you about the stories that are occurring Within this specific hotel or this national park. Ring ring, hello, it's me, folklore. Right? Yes, because I'm <laughs> also it, doing the telephone game. <laughs> that's what it feels like, and maybe that's why it's a little frustrating as we're, you know, researching this topic in general. But uh, it's also, it it does, it does send tingles up your spine if any of us to believed so i guess that's what we're on we're on that journey today
2: mm-hmm. yeah and if you don't have i mean to exercise empathy right and understand the perspective a lot of these people who hear these stories and maybe take them at face value, they've never heard them before. They don't know how often they've been retold. They're hearing them from one person, and that is key, right? And they're just rolling through for a couple of nights probably, right? Exactly, exactly. They want an experience, right? So uh <laughs> Expectation's so, a hell of a drug. Right, yes. Actually, you nailed it. Uh, this place, the... El Tovar Hotel is located in a very dramatic spot. It's like about 20 feet from the south rim of the Grand Canyon. It opened in 1905, so before the Grand Canyon National Park was really a thing. And when it opened, it was seen as the absolute peak of luxury, pun very much intended. And I didn't know this, but it was part of a, a chain a hospitality chain of restaurants and lodgings owned by a guy named Fred Harvey. It was one of the most famous Harvey hotels of
1: the day. Yeah, and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. The The Harvey Company's Mr. Fred Harvey. But um, this guy was apparently one of the most Uh, What would you I don't know, like imagine someone who owns a hotel that's really excited that you're at his hotel. And that is what I see when I imagine Fred Harvey.
2: Yeah. And he he came up along with the um, the age of rail. You know, and so he would purposely build stuff to service passengers on various important railway intersections or passages or stops. And uh, yeah, he was an absolute nut about it because he was very good at promoting
0: tourism in the American Southwest. Looks to have also made a stand in Vegas with uh, things like the uh, the Nevada Lake Tahoe Harvey's Resort Hotel and Casino, which comes up if you're googling like crazy neon signs. Nice. He
2: also got a um, one of the other things he'll be remembered for is being one of the forces that kind of tamed the Wild West, which was a very short period of American history. But he's the one who was like, let's bring some sit down restaurants where, you know, Harvey Hotel restaurants, you can eat here without being shot
0: well it's sort of that uh, almost like fantasy of the wild west that was more sanitized like that's a, a big part of what vegas was was giving people some way to feel like they were participating in that kind of like legacy but it was mm-hmm. all very you know uh, kind of buttoned up and like disneylandish
2: mm-hmm. and this all leads us to uh, el tovar because obviously he got- sounds
0: so cool and sinister
2: It's awesome. Because you have to say it like you've just turned around to announce it to the the camera. El
0: Tovar. Yeah,
2: exactly. We should do a commercial for El Tovar. So, (laughs) ship might have sailed. If you're listening, Fred, uh, from the afterlife. So okay, this thing's been around for more than a century as the ghost stories start. Uh, and over time, it gets this reputation for bizarre experiences. The things you'll read most often in sort of the copy copypasta tour guide notes are a ghostly figure wandering through the front entrance, a painting whose subject appears to, like, track you wherever you move, and uh, so much more. We'll get to it, but, like, a... Uh, uh, First, not to be too much of a mythbuster, but we all know what's up with a painting whose eyes seem to follow you wherever you go, because we've all seen that Uncle Sam, I want you for the U.S. Army picture. It's just perspective that you can paint. That does not imply a ghost. That implies a pretty talented artist at best. <laughs> but it doesn't answer the questions about the um, you guys saw the thing about the gravestone, right?
0: Right, so a lot of these stories uh, around some of these alleged hauntings at the hotel hinge on this mysterious gravestone hidden amidst the the foliage, (laughs) the foliage to the left across the drive from the front entrance. Um, It's humble, small, and flat on the ground, bearing the very humble, small, and flat inscription: "Pearl A. Ward, 1878-1934." P-I-R-L. Right. I've never mm. seen that spelling before. Pearl. Yeah. And uh, shout out to anybody
2: who just heard the ghostly uh, squelches there as we're talking. That is indeed my stomach. My stomach is now haunted. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep
0: it in. need to get uh, you some so, food, brother. <laughs> so, oh, get, whoa, you a, get you a meat pie. Some some <laughs> fish and chips. Sure. Let's, let's everybody guess where Ben is. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh so in, in 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 the red lodge apparently.
2: Um so this is this is weird to me because you can we can paint such backstories off such small things. Is Pearl P I R L were Pearl's parents perhaps not very literate and wanted to name their kid after something precious, oh, you know? It's it, it, it always yeah. Breaks your heart. Uh, but we won't know because
0: no one is exactly sure who Ward Pearl Ward is or was. Well, and is the hidden nature of the stone more a product of if th- things were built around it or was it like obscured for a reason? You know, like the questions do come up. That is a great question. Yeah. Uh,
2: can El- can the El Tovar somehow not afford landscaping? I mean, is that just not in their budget? Do they want it to seem like it's in disrepair? In some stories, Pearl Ward is a cowboy who dies sort of drifting through the area, and no one knew their na- this person's name when they buried him. In other stories... Pearl is a she. Pearl's a female who is one of the hostesses from the Harvey Hotel. They were called Harvey Girls at the time. And according to that legend, she lived, worked, and died under unknown circumstances on the
0: property. You should do come ghost on. tours, Ben. You'd be great.
1: I just You should, Ben. But come on, you guys. Say? If this is someone who worked at the hotel, there's no record of their passing in the 1930s.
2: Right. Exactly. At that point, they would have had to have something because it becomes increasingly suspicious. Right. Especially if you're living on the property, you're working with tons of other people in this big operation.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, entrepreneurs of that scale uh, in that era would have wanted to cover their butts.
1: Okay, there's one scenario where I see it working hit it It, it, the gravestone was created by somebody who knew the truth about what happened to pearl ward uh this person that's not actually where pearl is buried that has nothing to do with that it's to remind whoever did it who works and or owns the hotel that Mm -hmm. of what they did
0: we know what you did last summer
1: and every time you (laughs) leave the property you got to see her gravestone we could also I mean maybe
0: maybe that uh birth and death date, maybe it's some sort of code <laughs> or oh, what webs we weave. And, and did they plant the hedge around it? Why didn't they just dig it up? You know what I mean? Like I just no one's exhumed it. Exactly. Yeah. So is it is it all
2: smoke and mirrors, or we should say stone and dirt. Let's I don't get know.
1: some shovels, boys.
2: Let's do it. And you know what? When we're digging, what we'll need to do is have two of us dig and one of us be on the lookout. I call lookout Okay, for the for the caped figure that is often reported to exit the hotel's front stairs and entrance, rocking a black cape, by the way, and then go over to Pearl's grave, hang out there as if in contemplation for a minute, and then wander off behind a nearby building called the Hopi house before disappearing.
1: Oh, yeah. And this is my favorite part about El Tovar Hotel. There is an elderly gentleman that has been seen walking around. He appears sometimes when there's a big party going on, sometimes when there's no party at all. Walking the grounds, you say? Walking the grounds and or the house itself, the hotel. And he's often given you a little like if you walk up to him as a guest or walk past him, he's just kind of there for a moment. He's like, hey, oh, hey, make sure you head up to the ballroom. We got the big gathering, the get together. It's going to be a swell time. Head on up there. And guess who people think that is? Is it Fred Harvey? Oh, Fred Harvey! <laughs> um, but there is it is it does get a little weirder because people see him all over the place, right? Or somebody that they attribute to Fred Harvey. Um, but the timeline maybe doesn't match up so good. Yeah, the profiling's a little weird too
2: because old man is not you know, the most specific thing. And, uh, you know, the spooky dookie part is when they show up at this party, uh, there's no record of them being invited. They're like, this old man told me. And they're like, what old man? Yeah.
0: You've always been the caretakers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Or there's,
1: or there's no party at all. Or there's And no the hotel party at all. staff is like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah.
0: No. We, <laughs> we don't have a holiday
2: party for Arbor Day,
0: my friends. I, I've always thought it was so interesting that Stanley Kubrick being such a, a snob uh glommed on to The Shining because it, it is a bit of a broad, you know, Stephen King is a bit of a broad writer. But The Shining, there's something about it that does capitalize on all of this stuff we're talking about. The idea of haunted places, the idea of like, what is the history, the tortured kind of legacy of a place or whatever it might be. And a hotel is the perfect kind of like location for stuff like that, yeah, it's a liminal space.
1: Exactly. Think about how difficult it would have been to create a giant hotel at the edge of the Grand Canyon mm-hmm. in the, the early 1900s, right? Late 1800s to the like brand new 1900s. You're you're get you're having that stuff built, and people are probably getting maimed and injured really badly because you're so far from civilization right and there's you can't can't send them on over to the local doctor because there's no local doctor uh you know for a couple hundred miles or whatever right um, like that's insane first of all uh and and also i think this this is for me the reasoning behind the fred harvey sightings if you were able to achieve that feat of creating a giant building out in the wilderness like that, you would be massively proud of it, right? Or you, you, I think likely you'd be massively proud of it. And it would be not only an achievement of human ingenuity, but placing it where it is to be able to look from, from within that place you built, looking out upon the Grand Canyon must be... I don't know, very close to religious or spiritual, it's awesome, right? right?
2: Look upon mm-hmm. me, my works, ye mighty. And there's one catch, though. Um, as as much as I, I agree with you there, Matt, uh, on, on, that, on that excellent observation, Fred never got to see this particular uh, feat because he himself passed away in 1901, four years before the completion of
1: El Tovar. Well, so, that's why he's there, Ben, because he never got to see it in real life. So now he's got to hang out there for an
0: eternity. Or just give people like be their personal concierge, you know, <laughs> and like, lie uh, to them about when the party's going. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> <laughs> in his timeline there right. is a
1: party, and right. he's super excited about it, and he mm-hmm. like hyped, right? Time is, is a loop, a you know, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's like a, a superimposed reality, mm-hmm. and I I love it. I'm a huge uh,
2: proponent. I I actually kind of believe in some of that stuff, but our beliefs are. Our own. Uh, this is the one of the most famous stories, but there are two other incidents uh, you can find them reported in the local newspapers, usually around Halloween. To be honest with you, uh, there's a uh, couple from New Jersey, uh, and in this story, no timeline attributed. Uh, this is the Griffiths couple, and uh, they they woke up in the night. The wife woke up because an unseen presence was. Quote, "Pulling on her clothing in the middle of the night," I don't know about you guys, but when I first read that, I immediately thought there was a ghost who was like, "Get dressed, lady," and started like throwing her dress on or her slacks or whatever.
0: But no, it's just like tugging at her PJs. I saw this meme the other day where it was like every h p. Lovecraft story. It's like I saw a monster, it's like, what was it like? I it can't was describe indescribable
2: it. exactly. Yeah, I can't describe it, but let me spend four pages doing just that. Shout out Lovecraft,, God, I like lovecraft, but uh yeah, it's that is,
0: it it is some problematic views, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, but as for the clothes pulling um that's that's weird. I would not enjoy that. But, you know, maybe your, maybe your clothes got stuck. Or maybe I would enjoy it. I, I don't know. I don't you know, Because you have to be situation. So <laughs> this is give it a go. I guess have, it depends. <laughs> have you guys seen that, uh,
2: that film from back in the day called High Spirits starring Liam Neeson? Is this when he so, was in his rom-com
0: era, kind of? It, yeah. It's a
2: 1988 fantasy comedy about uh, – oh, wait. It's, is it Liam Neeson? Yeah, it is Liam Neeson. Uh, it's about a haunted castle. That the, is being turned into a tourist destination. And the ghosts have, you know, lovable hijinks, Beetlejuice esque, with the, with a visiting couple, played by Daryl Hannah and Steve Gutenberg. Oh, Daryl Hannah was such a babe. There's a clothes
0: pulling scene in there that may not have aged well. Steve Gut- I cannot believe Steve Gutenberg was ever like a leading man. He is like, Daryl Hannah is so above Steve Gutenberg's pay grade, it's not even funny.
2: Well, you know, Hollywood magic, right? Uh, Speaking of Hollywood magic, there's a couple from Los Angeles who said the following at the El Tovar. They walked past their television and stopped because when they looked at the screen, there was the face of a bearded old man peering back at them. And I was trying to figure out more about this tale, which gets uh, just tossed around so often. It doesn't seem that any investigator asked them, well... Was the television on? I feel like that might explain it.
1: Yeah, it, it was the duck. What was a duck show with all the big bearded guys, duck hunters? It was duck, duck show, duck hunters, duck dynasty, duck dynasty. The duck show with all
0: the. Oh, wow, I, I got there, but yeah.
1: <laughs> or you know, or could it? Was it a reflection in the black mirror? Right? Was it the person actually in the room?
0: Perhaps the the guy just needed a shave and didn't realize how how much he'd let himself go. Uh, oh, man.
2: maybe it was a window and they didn't understand televisions. I don't know, dude. Maybe they were dude. just, I'm going to say it. Maybe they were high.
0: <laughs> high spirits. Indeed. By the way, I was, I was just watching a trailer for that movie. I've never seen hide nor hair of this. And it looks like a delight.
2: It's fun. I, I loved it. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a fun romp. Uh, it's got serious
1: vibes, vibes.
2: Yes, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, of that,
0: it's, it's of that era, you
2: know? It's of that era, but not of that caliber. So, uh, can yeah.
1: we, There are a couple other things in Grand Canyon really quickly yeah, I yeah, just yeah, want to yeah. throw out here if, if anybody ends up going there. Because uh, I've not been, and I want to go now. Oh, you uh, should of go. Of course. Uh, there's a place called the Phantom Ranch that exists there that uh, yeah. ha- allegedly there's yeah, yeah. this... Um, this thing called Phantom Ranch, There's a, it's the property, I guess, that's called the Phantom Ranch. Uh, there's a place called Phantom Creek within the park that is immediately adjacent to it. And according to the stories, the folklore, there's this guy named John Wesley Powell who set that thing up, right? This is in the 1860s, 1870s when all of this is happening. And um, he, he's this one armed person who was in the civil war can he's considered a hero he did not die there according to the folklore but again kind of like how we were joking around about mr harvey Mm -hmm. it's thought that this guy was proud of this achievement or he it was in some way impactful in his life so his spirit haunts this phantom ranch which is aptly named i must say um, but it does...
0: Again, very Scooby-Doo. Sorry. The Phantom
1: <laughs> Ranch. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo and the Phantom Ranch. You know? It does. Um, but there's this the little twist thing to it. And that a lot of the folklore in the Grand Canyon, I feel like, has this kind of thing. There's another place within the Grand Canyon uh, called Bright Angel Creek. And there are there were huge stones from that creek bed in that area that were used to build a lot of the structures in Phantom Ranch. So you've got angels worked in there right and phantoms just in the names which feels yeah. like a great way to sell sell people and go on going and rumors of
2: giants back in the days uh there was mm-hmm. also of course we're not joking about the ancient civilization thing check out our earlier episode on that that was a, a, a weird comment on reporting of the time as well yes
1: yes and uh, one other thing guys this story of We've we've heard so many tales like this when we've covered ghost stories. A crying woman mm-hmm. right out in the woods somewhere that you can't really see this person, but you hear the wailing. La Llorona. Yeah, exactly. That, but it's it's uh, again a twist on that. Right. Uh, you can look up uh, a place called Transept Trail, T-R-A-N-S-E-P-T Trail, where in, I think it was again, I think it was. Then the 1930s, there's a place called the Grand Canyon Lodge that burned up. Mm-hmm. And after that fire, it's thought that some spirit involved in some way haunts that area
0: of, to this uh, day, to yeah. this very
2: day. day. And here we can already see those common traits of folklore stories told repeatedly, small changes over time. Give it a twist to make your La Irona different. Uh, And then there's always a lack of certain specificity. It adds to the overall mystery. And at the same time, it makes it increasingly difficult to nail down some concrete facts. We'll see this in other ghost stories as well. Uh, What do you guys think? Should we take a break and go to some more examples? Absolutely.
0: $25 each.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert
0: Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now.
3: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail.
2: and we have returned now we're traveling to yellowstone and you know we talked about this a little bit off air you can find the history of yellowstone park the history of all these parks really we're not going to spend too much time on them we wanted to get to some of the juicy ghost stories speaking of haunted Female figures, haunted women. Uh, Here's one, Matt, Noel, we, I think, all read about this one. The headless bride of the Old Faithful Inn. Yet again, another inn with an interesting, unique experience of the
1: paranormal. Yeah, it's an inn, but it's not in love. You know what I'm saying? Don't force others to marry people they don't want to marry. That's the story of the Old Faithful Inn just don't do it.
2: Even when you know it's not going to work out, don't do it. You know what I mean? Uh, (laughs) You got to let people do what they want. And you can find this story of the headless bride all over the place, including the official website, yellowstonepark.com. It goes like this. Back in 1915, there's this guy in New York and he's sort of a blue blood. He's the the one percenter of his day. He owns a shipping cunt company, a country here, he owns a shipping company, and he's got a rebellious teenage daughter just full of hijinks, and he has arranged a marriage for her with a young guy from an equally wealthy New York family. But she says, no, you can't control me, old man. I'm in love with an unnamed household servant right
1: <laughs> right so dad's like oh this guy's got bad intentions unnamed person uh but you know despite the father's let's say issues with with the person that his daughter's going to marry um she went ahead and did it she she got hitched she did indeed she said unnamed older household servant
2: i am in love with you and uh the dad was bad about this, but she would brook no argument. He he tried to talk her out of it. And he said, look, this is not just me being a stodgy, bossy old man. Uh, I am genuinely concerned that this dude's intentions for you are not romantic. I think he has an evil, sinister plan. Uh, and, you know, in the modern day parlance, he, he thinks that this guy's a gold digger. And she says, I'm not going to hear it. She goes ahead, she gets married, and the father tries to make a poison pill, as we would call it in corporate mergers and acquisitions. He says, okay, if you guys want to get married, I will give you an extravagant dowry as your wedding gift. And as a condition of this dowry, you have to agree, you as a couple have to agree, that you are getting no more additional support from our family ever. You're not getting an inheritance, you're not getting a share of the business, Fleetwood Mac style, go your own way. And As a matter of fact, you need to leave New York forever. Uh, according to the story, this was a bluff on the father's part. He thought this would force these people to call off the wedding because it would remove the servant's access to the larger fortune. His gamble was a failure. The couple said, okay, yeah, we agree because we're so much in love. We're going to go have a baller honeymoon at Yellowstone, and we're going to stay at the hottest inn (laughs) for—we're going to stay at the hottest inn for honeymoons, the Old Faithful Inn. And there's a little specificity here because they were staying at room 127. That doesn't always happen in in these— ghost stories. Uh, we know the Old Faithful Inn ha- was pretty new at the time. Uh, it was still less than 10 years old. It was the seen and be seen place for family vacations. But as we heard from various versions of the legend, things went wrong for the couple very quickly.
1: Yeah, why is it important that they were in room 127? Well, that's because there was a huge argument in that room that other people heard uh, on, let's say, the fateful night. And why why were they arguing? This is a happy new couple. They're on their honeymoon. Well, according to the story, it's because the new husband uh, basically did kind of what the father was warning the daughter he was going to do or what he was about. Allegedly, according to the stories, he was gambling a ton and, and not just while hanging out somewhere at the Old Faithful Inn, while they were making their way to the inn, right? And uh, hanging out in taverns, spending a ton of money on drinks and all that kind of stuff. And they were arguing because basically the guy blew through all the money they had and they couldn't even afford to pay the bill at the old faithful.
2: Right. Which makes the staff a lot less helpful. Uh and about a month into the honeymoon, you know, they're skint. Which is a
1: long honeymoon,
2: my God. I was thinking that too. You know what I mean? Like I, I got that they're wealthy, but i I I read that with no small amount of envy. the it's up there with the idea of people in this uh, in that day and age saying, Oh, well, we're abroad to Europe for the summer. I, I do love the continent, not too long a stay, merely a, a third month or so. <laughs> and uh, it was just a different different world, right? Uh, because it would it would take it would take a significant. Uh, It would take a significant amount of work for us, any of us to figure out a way to not be at work for a month, but, uh, but there we have it. And it turns out that kind of privilege doesn't necessarily make people happy. Like you said, Matt, it goes to this one night. The couple had already been arguing on a regular basis. It was the scandal of the hotel and Uh, The daughter had called her father for help, and he refused. Kind of cold, but he said those terms. And during this very violent, louder-than-usual shouting match on this evening, the husband storms out, never to be seen again. The hotel staff gives the bride her privacy for a while. After about two days, it's a weird number, but after about two days, they go to room 127 to check on her. She's not going to be like, bedroom. where is our money? <laughs> right. And also, sorry about your loss. Also, you owe us for this plus these other two days. Call your dad. And uh, the maid who is looking around, because you know how hotels are laid out, when you walk in, there might be a foyer or a hallway, and you'll see like a, maybe a living room suite or a bedroom first. You have to walk into the restroom, it's not clearly visible. So she walks into the restroom or the bathroom, and she screams because the bride's corpse is filling the bathtub. It's riddled with blood. It's a Dexter-level or Hannibal-level crime scene. It's got all the ingredients of true crime, except one thing's missing, her head.
1: Yeah, yeah, head's missing, body's in there, lots of blood. Um, Not great, not great for the bathtub, for, you know— the reputation of the hotel, especially for the new bride, probably great. not great for her. Um, and they basically looked for the head. They didn't notice the husband carrying, you know, a human head when he stormed out. Um, which, you know, obviously he is the suspect, right? The last yeah. person to be seen with this person. They were arguing a whole lot. Um, what? What? It, I think the tales say they searched the property for like a week. Or maybe even longer?
2: Yeah, yeah. They searched uh, up and down across the hotel property uh, for, yeah, at least a week. The amount of time they spent searching varies uh, depending on the version of the tale you hear. But it was definitely more than just like a one afternoon search. Uh, we know this because they did eventually find the head. They found it due to the smell emanating from an elevated area, the highest interior point of the hotel called the Crow's Nest, where the band would play. And just to pause there, that's a really cool idea to have the band playing from that elevated area. Uh, but somebody got a somebody got a bad whiff, figured out something was rotten in the crow's nest, and they went up there and you guessed it, that's where they found the head rotting away. And ever since then. Guests have reported seeing a ghostly woman walking down the stairs of the crow's nest in her white dress, carrying her head under her arm. This is brought to you by Under Armour. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, No, it's totally fine. You know, this is one of those stories where it's on the official
2: website. It very much is. It's on the official website. It's on numerous blogs about the area. You can find it published as fact in multiple, like, collection of paranormal things, paperbacks, you know, which we grew up loving. Uh, And you have to ask yourself, is this true? Is this false? Is this
1: embellished? Well, it's got to be helping the hotel in some way to even be to have a place on their website, right? Exactly. If it hurt, you would just leave it off. Mm-hmm. And you could, you know, anyone who was interested could go to any other blog that's out there that writes about these things. But if you went to the the official Yellowstone website, it's not there. Leaving everybody who is, you know, thinking about going, oh, well, maybe that's just a tall tale. When mm-hmm. you put it on the, the website like that, I feel like it gives it such credence. or I, I, it, it lends so much more uh, credibility. Uh, yeah, I guess it is credibility. Legitimacy? It's it's just weird to do that unless, unless it's gonna make some profit.
2: Exactly, it's what we kind of were are setting up at the at the top and and through all this, we can tell you the truth about this story for sure. It's this: ghosts are only real when someone was decapitated. It's the only time scientifically proven. That's why really? the headless horseman is a thing. Yeah, it's proven. French Revolution. That's why they still have ghosts. Dang. Or. Uh, or we're funning with you, <laughs> uh, just like the assistant manager of the Old Faithful Inn, George Borman, who made the whole thing up. He's got a 1991 interview with Deseret News, and he says, okay, here's what happened. I was in the hotel one time when it was deserted, overlooked style, and I heard some footsteps down the hallway And I walked out and looked because there was nobody there, but me and one or two other employees. And I couldn't find who, anybody who could have run down that hallway at that time outside of my room. And so I went and looked again and I saw nobody. He says he went and looked three times and he said later, this got him thinking, huh? What if there was a ghost story for the old faithful inn? That would be interesting. That would add a hint of mystery to the inn's vibes and so he says he made the whole thing up in 1983. And then uh, ever since that moment, because he was still working there for a while, he says people would come to him and repeat the fictitious story to him. And like even to the point of like mansplaining his own story to him.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> there's more t- there's more uh, telephone details, sir, to this story. Um, that's uh, that's fascinating it checks out to me however not all of the
2: ghostly activities or alleged paranormal experiences of these different parks have such simple explanations and and you know i think it's really important for us to point out as well that it goes into this expectation idea that that noel mentioned earlier uh the idea that we have to the the idea that People came into Old Faithful having heard that story, perhaps accepted it as fact, and were therefore on some level primed to see or experience something. However, we, we have other cases where the answer is not so clear cut. Uh, we got to go to a cool place next, a place called Mammoth Cave. And, you know, we we're talking about this off air. Mammoth Cave, when we say we want to go to it, we don't just mean go to it in this conversation. We want to go as a crew.
1: Yeah. Well, let's just go ahead and mention it at the top. We want to do this thing called the Violet City Lantern Tour. Yes. Where, because this, okay, so Mammoth Cave, it's the longest known cave system in the world. It's got 426 miles worth of cave that you can kind of check out. Some of the areas you can't check out. Um, and there are new areas being discovered still, which is right. We don't know
2: the extent. Also, I love uh, I love this. Worth of cave, like yeah. how many miles
1: worth of cave is this before uh, I pay for the tour? Four hundred twenty six miles. And what they do with this? I was going to say velvet. With this Violet City Lantern Tour, is they shut down all the lights because there's a ton of. Uh, human-made light that exists in the cave system so that when people go on tours they can see right nobody gets hurt uh it's there's illumination via electricity throughout the cave system but in these tours they turn off those lights and they've got lanterns and they take you through the cave by lantern light I want to do that because it appears that there's more than just bats down in them caves <coughs> Oh, there's coughing. Wait a second. I know this story, Ben.
2: (laughs) Uh, Also, we should mention uh, this story uh, scares our colleague Noel so much that he has left the episode for today. Actually, we're kidding. He's a little bit under the weather with uh, the bit of a cough uh, and will be rejoining us soon. But for now, uh, he gives us his blessing and wishes us to continue the subterranean exploration.
1: Oh, yes. So let's put our minds in the place of being inside a system that that consists of 426 miles of cave. Worth of uh, cave. Worth of cave. <laughs> imagine being there, deep beneath within the earth, let's say. And and just what your mind the tricks your mind would play on you and the uh otherworldly things you might imagine could be down there. Oh, sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's true because, uh, subterranean flora and fauna are still being discovered. We don't know how far these cave systems go. We don't know what's living in there. There's some cave systems that are, for all intents and purposes, sealed off. They've become their own ecosystems, unreliant upon sunlight and all those things surface dwellers love. Uh, we can also, we can also say that for most people who have never been in absolute darkness, and being in absolute darkness will lead you to hallucinate.
1: Yes. Now let's bring in the history of this cave system, or at least the um, the like American version, I guess, the, the Anglo-centric existence yeah. of this cave, and the history of that, because it is, it, it gets dark. Uh, pretty quickly, The wasn't it purchased for some, I mean, I guess it was a fairly large sum back then, but like $10,000 US?
2: Yes, $10,000 in 1839, and we can borrow a bit from uh, our handy inflation calculator, $10,000 in 1839 is the equivalent of $329,834 today. So very expensive, but still, that's a lot cheaper than I thought a cave system would cost.
1: Yeah, a huge cave system that was not, again, like, it, not its super early stages of mapping, but early, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot has been discovered since then. Uh, but he didn't just buy the cave system itself in the property above the caves. He also bought humans. He
2: did. He, uh, the deal included, you know, adjacent property and they defined adjacent property as uh, also enslaved human beings, because again, this was 1839. And one of the enslaved people that uh, he took ownership of as part of this deal was a cave guide named Stefan Bishop. And at this point, Bishop Probably knew the caverns better than any other person alive, and um, I really appreciate that you point out we're starting the story from the kind of Anglo-centric view because Native populations again knew about this cave for thousands,
1: thousands, thousands of years. Uh, Bishop It is a celebrated, important place yes, for those yes. those cultures. It's not, it, it, yeah, it's not just a cave.
2: It has immense cultural and spiritual significance. Uh, Doctor Krogan. Does not care about that. He doesn't. He doesn't give a damn about it. Uh, he immediately starts tours, and so Stefan Bishop is giving people these amazing tours. He's showing them Echo River, where blind albino fish have evolved. Miles of all these unique twisting passageways. Meanwhile, on the surface, Doctor Krogan is busying himself brainstorming new ways to monetize this natural wonder, to turn it into a cash cow, to make his 10000 back as soon as possible, and then just make more and more money. And you and I were talking off air about his more, his strange idea, one of the strangest that he put into place. Uh, It was the idea that he could build a special camp inside the cave for people suffering from tuberculosis or consumption as it was called in the day.
1: I don't know. I think it's a good idea to, for something to try. It's worth know, trying. Agreed. You know, well because a lot was there wasn't a lot known about what could actually like what were what are the conditions that would help someone get over tuberculosis, right? Mm-hmm. And the thought came up, well, what if this the low relatively low temperatures of the cave system compared to the outside world at the time, uh, what if those temperatures would be conducive to reducing the effects of tuberculosis on the human body? Maybe mm-hmm. again, Maybe. worth worth a shot. Yeah. So they actually built a, a, a fairly large area included. There are several, they call them huts, but there are these like, they look almost like a, it does look like a hut, I guess, but it's a mini little stone and wooden structure yeah, um, call it
2: a hut, call it a cabin, somewhere in between.
1: Yeah, they're tiny, but it's enough for a human being to be in and not to live comfortably, but to to survive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they, what do they, How I don't know how many they built, but they built a bunch of them, and there are two that remain to this day that you can go visit.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it, it, most of the reporting I read said that he originally had 11 huts built in there. And the idea was that you would get... Fifteen patients, which means some of the patients were couples um, because that's, you know, or maybe parent and child or siblings, but they say 15 patients arrived. And honestly, folks, we don't know whether these patients genuinely believe this treatment would work, but we can only imagine, given what you described, Matt, at this time, that they were desperate enough to try anything. You know, that's kind of it's like when we look at um, cancer cure conspiracies and the con artist involved in sort of bilking desperate people. As far as we can tell, Dr. Krogan is not himself a con artist. He is actually trying to see whether this will assist people who are suffering from consumption. However, as history will prove this treatment did not work. Two patients died that same year. All 15 of the patients got worse. Dr. Krogan himself would go on to die from tuberculosis in 1849.
1: Yeah, 10 years after he bought the cave system, he dies of tuberculosis too. So you might imagine, oh, um, there's been some death in this cave that we we know of, and we can attribute tuberculosis to those deaths that That disease comes with a lot of coughing. It would make sense right to hear coughing in the distance somewhere within the cave system, right as you're touring through it, especially by lantern light, especially by lantern. yeah,
2: if you elect to take the violet City tour of the cave, the tour guides will take you to that blackout, like you described, Matt, where you actually go down into the dark that most people have not experienced. And then they'll give you the tour with the oil lamp and they'll tell you the stories. And you can actually see remnants of this tuberculosis camp experiment. That is a real thing. That's not a legend. Uh, And some rangers will tell you that they have experienced strange things down there. That they have seen shoves from unseen forces. They've heard inexplicable footsteps or (coughs) coughing in the distance uh, or even being grabbed or touched when they knew there were no other people around. I have a question for you, man, because, you know, I go to you for audio advice often. Is it possible with the acoustics of a cavern that you could prank someone with ghost coughing? Like, could you be far enough away around a bend or something and cough and have the cough reflect off the stone to reach the person observing the
1: camp? I I don't know the science behind that, Ben. What I would do is get a really long tube that is highly flexible. I would set it up uh, at one end of it, higher up in the cave system, and then I would have it go all the way down to lower in the cave system. And I would do a little cough into the tube at one side or the other and make everybody think, the cough's coming from way up there or way down there. Oh,
2: clever. Okay, because I was thinking you might say set up like a time delay motion sensor with, oh, that a, works. with a speaker so that it doesn't start coughing right when you trip the wire but or trip the light, but it starts coughing, you know, four minutes after. I, like love,
1: I love the way you think, and it's high-tech. I'm, I'm going to say the tube system is, is the way I'm going. Imagine the sound of dragging the tube back to your location after you've used it. How long is this tube? Wait, it's hang huge. on.
2: huge. This, this is <laughs> great. This is an awkward. Thing. You know what? Let's do both. Why not? Okay. Let's do both. Uh, do we, how much will they sell the caves for? Uh, this is... We do have specific folks like uh, one guide, Larry Purcell, had another story. He went on record and he said that he experienced something unrelated to the tuberculosis camp that terrified him. Uh, He said he was giving a tour and during some part of this tour, it was the the Violet City tour. He noticed an African-American family standing behind the rest of the group. And he was surprised to see them because he hadn't noticed any African-American tourist in this particular group. And he said, huh, it's crazy. The father is wearing a white Panama hat and he's watching with rapt attention as we are giving the oil lamp tour, right? And then when you reach the part where they turn off the oil lamp and turn the electric lights back on, he looks for this family and he can't find anybody. There were just extra people there when the oil lamp was on.
1: Yeah, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> extra people while the oil lamp was on. Don't like that phrase. Don't like anything. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. It reminds me when we, um, when we went on our brief excursion to the Hoover dam, I think that's a close recent comparison for us. Hoover dam, very much a man-made cavern, but, uh, what what we saw is that the tour guides at regular frequent intervals were counting the number of people in the group.
1: <gasps> That's why. <laughs> That's why. Because <laughs> sometimes there are extra families.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that idea. Okay, so uh, do octopus tr- uh, believe in ghosts, and then the extra extra tour guide members? Okay. Yep. Gold, Jerry, we're making gold here, Rumpelstiltskin style. Uh, all right, apparently the room where the ranger saw this family is called the Methodist Church because miners used to have religious services there when they were exploring resources in the cave. And during those days, because of the rampant racism, if an African-American guide or his family attended the services, they would have to stand back at a distance. Wow, I know, it's a bummer, um, and those two things aren't necessarily related. They're the kind of things that have just enough commonality for people to put some red string together, turn down
1: the lights, and tell you it's scary. Yeah. Um, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we pause here? We've got a few more parks to visit before we're done today, but we need to hear a word from our sponsor, so we'll be right back.
0: Live Nation presents Concert Week from now through May
1: 14th. Get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to
2: 75 percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage,
1: Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan
0: Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just. $25 each.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert
0: to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now.
3: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail.
2: and we have returned let's visit you know if we don't do anything else let's at least visit the devil's den we've got other places to go like you said matt uh every single national park has some kind of ghost story uh and we will tell you why by the way at the end but the devil's den is in gettysburg national military park matt have you visited gettysburg
1: um, I feel like I did as a kid, but I have no recollection of actually going through there. Yeah. Because it's getting muddled with other Civil War par- parks I've been to. Right, because we've seen a lot of Civil War parks in mm-hmm. our time.
2: Uh, yeah, this is a site uh, commemorating one of the most historically significant and uh, a very bloody battle of the U.S. Civil War uh there is a site in the park called the devil's den it's world famous amid paranormal investigators ghost hunters psychics you name it uh and it's it's really interesting to look at pictures because it's like imagine if you are if you are a union or confederate soldier and you are in the midst of you know unreliable ammunition uh, you're you're probably not feeling great because you've been malnourished. You're probably suffering from some disease, and you're being forced to fight Napoleonic style, which means you're told to line up and then just sort of march at each other and hope you don't get shot. Uh, it's a really way to wage war, honestly. Uh, so, in your if you're in that situation, you need to make friends with geography. So a place with a bunch of boulders is great. You can break up your death march line. You can hide behind rocks long enough to reload without getting shot. Uh, This also, the same advantage carries on to the enemy forces. So it's no surprise that the Devil's Den became a bloodbath.
1: Yeah, it did. Um, I kind of want to describe it. A little bit more. You found a great description from uh, someone named Mark Nesbitt, and I I guess we should just – the quote is awesome, Ben. Do you want to just do it? You should do it. You should do it. All right. Well, okay. Um, This is what it looks like according to Mark Nesbitt, who was a, a paranormal investigator and a former park ranger, which that is very important here's how he describes it quote the devil's den looks like some giant just dropped these huge boulders the size of houses down onto this one spot on the battlefield on a sunny day it's not too bad on a cloudy day it's kind of ominous at night it's just ridiculous (laughs) yeah exactly i love it as in it's it's creepy right that's that's what he's implying
2: yeah yeah and uh i like to point out he is a former park ranger. He's also the owner of the Ghost of Gettysburg Tours. Uh, he's, he's coming there with experience, but also it's good for him if you go on a ghost tour. Yep. So <laughs> that's the way to say it. He said he would often get the willies when he was just walking around the area at night doing security checks and he spoke in depth with our pals at House Stuff Works about this our alma mater house Stuff works and he wrote a book or he wrote a book series i should say called Ghost of Gettysburg wherein he chronicles a lot of unexplained experiences at Devil's Den uh, and they have all the you know all the usual stripes of folklore right often unnamed people The timeline is a little vague, but the experience itself is sobering. One lady said she was climbing around the boulders with a friend. She felt a hand grab her ankle. Could it be her friend? She looks down. She sees a ghostly soldier grabbing for her. She screams for help. She looks up. Oh, and there's her friend. Her friend's not touching her at all. She looks back down. The man's gone. Whoa.
1: Ooh, stranger danger. Gotta love a good ankle grab. Um <laughs> <laughs> Let's take Paul. Can we cut that and keep it out
2: of context? <laughs> I'll never forget what my good friend Matt told me all those years ago. You gotta love a good ankle grab.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know how that would be used in a weird way, but that's that's to me just uh That's one of the creepiest things I remember having to me as a kid. My sister like be under the bed and grab my ankle. Um, yeah, it's frightening, right? It's a very
2: vulnerable part of your body. And then uh, additionally, since you're laying down, you're trying to yeah. go to sleep. That's terrifying. That's terrifying to the point where even if you know how it happened, yeah. and, like you see your sister, I would still be furious.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It feels it, it fun, though. I think that's why I like horror movies now. I'm not sure. <sighs> We we enjoy the things that scarred
2: us, right? Uh, that's a, I'm in a similar situation. Well, there's there's the other one that's a little bit less weird, which is did you see this the helpful hippie story?
1: Yeah, this one's this one's great. This one is like, oh man, I'm lost. Where do I go? I don't know what to do. And then an apparition appears out of nowhere and says. It's over there, man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That way. Look where you're looking for is over there. And then you look in that
2: direction and then you look back and he's gone. Wow. (laughs) And he's like flower child, weird hat, all like picture the hippie. It's the hippie stereotype. He's got a a shoulder length hair, bare feet, you know, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and Nesbitt says this. We'll give you what Nesbitt says first. He says, I can't believe she's describing exactly what a Texan looked like at the Battle of Gettysburg. She would not have known that as a tourist. However, with great respect, Mr. Nesbitt, uh, we have a, a proposition for you here. A lot of people do live off the grid in national parks, you know, and there are people who wander from park to park or live a nomadic existence, like the people who follow rainbow gatherings, things like that, you know, uh, what are, uh, oh gosh, what are they called? Rubber tramps, you know, train hoppers. People are living outside of the system. I think it's completely possible. A lot of those people, by the way, are very, very cool. I think it's completely possible that there could just be a guy living out around that area who shows up and helps people. Amongst the
1: stones. Amongst the stones. 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 <laughs> I love it. I, wait, speaking of stones, uh, just bef- I, this is an interjection, everyone. Um, ben, I was, I was looking at Death Valley, and I, I know we looked at that one, too, because there's a national park called the Death Valley National Park, and they've got this phenomena that I think we've mentioned before, but we haven't looked into it in detail, but it's these stones that are heavy, and stone and somehow without any intervention by human hands or seemingly animal hands they move yeah they sort of slide along it's a dry lake bed where these stones are and they move and you can see the trails of these stones having moved over time no footprints no any just explanation outside of oh those stones move i guess (laughs) <laughs> right. And and also when
2: you see that, you're already in Death Valley. So your primary concern is, man, I hope I get water before I die. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, but, yeah. But
1: it's just really cool because there is there are like pretty good scientific concepts, ideas about what could make those stones do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, ha- it has a lot to do with ice forming when it gets super cold, but like small amounts of ice forming mm-hmm. amidst all the particles already. Right? Imagine of sand and, and dust and all that other stuff that's out there. Somehow when there's enough lubric- lubrication right at the like front-facing part of that stone and then there's a strong enough wind and then all these other factors could potentially make it happen. It
2: removes the friction. Right? Maybe. Yeah. I mean that's the idea. Also, because that area is so is so dry, so arid, uh, there's the idea that like the flash floods that occasionally, or the, mm-hmm. the the rain that occasionally occurs, plays a part. I think there is a scientific explanation. I'm with you though. Uh, as to my knowledge, and this may be incorrect, there is no documented like video footage of them moving. It's just point A and then point B.
1: Not to cut you off, Ben, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding anyone out there that's listening right now. I'm sitting in my house. My son and my mother are downstairs hanging out. Hmm. My dogs are both asleep behind me, well behind me. Yeah. As you were talking, Ben, I felt something touch my leg and then my shoulder, and that was it. And there's nobody around me. I'm not kidding. That's weird.
2: I, I can confirm, by the way, that we saw we saw Matt look down first at his left <laughs> leg, and then at his right, and then look behind him. And because you were so crazy polite, you we were like, hey, not to cut you off, but.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of sitting with the feeling in this moment, but. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Harvey. <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> Harvey. <laughs> he heard you were talking here. smack about El Tovar. There's so much more to learn about all of these parks. Again, we mentioned there's not a single park, I think, that you can look up that doesn't have something haunted. Look up the twice-hanged man, also in Death Valley. The story of a guy who allegedly killed a banker, got convicted, got hanged, then he was cut down, then he was put back up, hanged again for like a press opportunity. This is in uh, 1908 in a place called Skidoo. Uh, really, really, it's called Skidoo. S-K-I-D-O-O. You can see remnants of the town that are still out there in Death Valley. Um, this There's so much to that story, but allegedly, they, I guess the medical practitioners at the time cut his head off to see if he had syphilis or some other brain disease that would cause the, his erratic behavior. Because he was like, a, I guess he was a pretty well-known businessman at the time. He was well-known in the town. And he killed a beloved, allegedly beloved, banker. And so they're like, what the heck caused him to do this? So they supposedly cut his head off. And now, even even now, you can see basically this headless ghost that's walking around uh, trying to find his head. Wild. Again, like we said,
2: it's scientifically proven that the only real ghosts are people who have been decapitated. There you go. You know, don't get mad at us, folks. That's just science. And also don't fact check us on that one. But but, uh, yeah, we might even return with more ghosts from national parks because like you said, Matt, there are so very many out there. If we did one for every national park, we'd be looking at over 400. Yeah.
1: Well over. Dude, the Indiana Dunes and look up Diana of the Dunes. That's a thing. Diana of the Dunes. It's a fascinating, great, actually wholesome ghost story. If you want to check that one out. Look up also uh, all the
2: all the myths surrounding mounds, burial mounds, which uh, which were around, you know, well before the idea of the United States. And indeed, they were actively suppressed by the United States, in some cases destroyed. Uh, and also, if you happen to live near any, take the time to go visit them. It's a fascinating peek into the hidden history of this continent. Uh, oh, we oh yeah, last yeah. one, Ben. Yeah, last if,
1: one, last one. If you have ever gone through, um, it's, it's the Smoky Mountains. Uh, what's that one called? Great Smoky Mountain National Park, I think is the, the name of it. Mm-hmm. There's an area. Oh, let me see if I can find it. It's called the Thomas Divide Ridge where you can find oh you could find the Thomas Divide Overlook that is on one of the one of the main roads there. Uh-huh. If you look out at night at this Thomas Divide Ridge, allegedly you can see lights that flicker and shine in this area that is not populated. They call right. them the ghost lights, Smoky Mountain ghost lights. I have seen video of these things, but I've never heard anyone give a better explanation i guess for what right. it possibly could be cuz it can't would, be swamp gas right i don't think it's mountain gas baby <laughs> mountain i've had mountain <laughs> gas before <laughs> me too
2: uh, <laughs> oh boy uh, yes we we're talking about this off air and we could i think that one could be an entire episode because we can take what we learned from previous ghost ghostlight conversations and will-o'-the-wisp things and and kind of case test right
1: yeah, I just want to go. I want to go spend a couple nights out there in the wilderness on the ridge that you can view from the, from the street there. Yeah. Because I, I, you can get footage of it from a certain angle. I want to know if the angle of observation has anything to do with the way the light looks, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. You were saying, you were saying we need to find the specific spot. Right, And it it could be a multi-person operation, too, where we find the specific spot and we have one person stay there, maintain that. And then we have somebody else try to move toward it and see what they can. I don't know. We could triangulate. We could do some yeah. interesting
1: things, especially in the age of GPS. Dude, it's not that far from us. It's Tennessee, right? That's yeah. like, um, eh, it's, it's ours, but we, we could make it. Yeah, we can make it happen.
2: We can also, you know what? Let's tell the bosses this is uh, valuable research, and that we yeah. don't have time to explain why we can't be in the meetings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, guys, we are exploring the wilderness. In Let's just Tennessee. call
2: into the meeting from there.
1: Where are I'm you? Sure, guys? that would go great. Do do they make satellite phones still? Right? <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> um, okay,
2: so we'll get with accounting first to get the sat phone. And then we will, okay, yeah, wheels are spinning. I think we got this.
1: Yeah, X37B is still up there. It's going to be there for a while. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll be able to make contact.
2: Yeah. If uh, Well, who knows? We'll, we'll ring out there into the ink, and we might get X37B. We might get the Chinese one. Mm-hmm. You know, we know how to say hello in all those languages. It'll work out. So.
1: That's why I'm sticking with you,
2: buddy. (laughs) That's why I'm sticking with you. That's why we hope you are sticking with us. We'd like to answer this question, folks. Why would national parks in particular garner so many tales of ghostly activity? Well, without saying whether or not ghosts are real, we can tell you expectation plays a big role. You were talking about this a little bit too, Matt. When people enter a place being told perhaps numerous times that paranormal activity might be present on some level of consciousness even if you're a skeptic saying i'll disprove this you're going to be more primed to look for unusual things some stuff that you might ignore otherwise become you know takes on other implications right like if you're if you're in a grocery store or in a crowded part of your city or town there are a lot of things you ignore just to get by you know, other people are around, you know, there's going to be other stimuli hitting, hitting your wonderful sensory network. But if you're in a new environment where people have already told you, look out for that headless person, then you have a higher likelihood of feeling like a visual movement you can't track uh, (coughs) in the distance or something comes from somewhere beyond the mundane realm. And I think that's something we have to remember. Plus, It makes for a heck of a story. And uh, we did reach out to the national park system. uh, we We went to the top of this one, folks. And what we found is that there's so many allegations of ghosts in individual parks that the best way to learn more is to contact the parks directly. And they'll answer you because they are awesome, tireless people. The rangers and other officials who maintain these resources are, in our opinion, heroes. And uh, I don't know, man. It's something you said earlier, which I think is such a good point. We have to applaud the willingness of the park system to, let's say, play along or maybe, let's say, encourage interest in natural and human history. They've got a sense of humor as well as respect. And they're kind of leveraging the interest in the paranormal as a way of encouraging interest in the stunning, very real beauty of the world
1: around us. Yes. Yes. So if it's a conspiracy, it's like a good conspiracy. It's a wholesome conspiracy. Uh, Again, it makes you want to do like what I probably wouldn't want to travel to Chickamauga, which is another place in uh, Tennessee. It's like a, it's an historic national landmark, I guess kind of a, and it's got a forest connected with a natural area. It's another civil war related thing. And uh, I would never go there, but there's a thing there called old green eyes. That's allegedly this thing at night that you can see. I want to go see old green eyes way more than I want to see the Civil War history. The Civil War history then becomes a little cherry on top that I get for my green eyes exploration. Mm,
2: like how they give you candy at the dentist. Also, I, think about that one. oh man yeah i think that's
1: a great point (laughs) oh that that was the kicker the timing was just so good
2: so uh folks we know we went long on this thank you and apologies and condolences to our super producer paul mission control Deccant, for sticking with us as we and I'm in a weird place too, Matt. Um, probably want to. <laughs> we probably want to call it a day. Um- We'll have Noel joining us uh, for a future adventure very soon. Uh, And for everyone who's hearing this, we would love to hear stories from the ghost in your neck of the Global Woods, your local national park. Even if you don't think there's a ghost story there, go check it out and uh, help us uh, learn more about it, as well as your fellow conspiracy realists. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on X. You can check out our our weird avant-garde social media. media videos that we're doing, Uh, and if you don't want to do any of that, if you don't sip those social meds, then why not just give us a telephone call?
1: Yes, our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname, and you've got three minutes, say whatever you'd like. Just please let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. If you've got more to say or links or attachments, why not instead shoot us an email?
2: We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
1: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
3: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story listen to season two of the girlfriends our lost sister on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the therapy for black girls podcast is your space to explore mental health personal development and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves i'm your host dr joy harden bradford a licensed psychologist in atlanta georgia